0: Past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag episode answering listener submitted questions all episode long. We do this each week. I record it on Monday nights and post it on Tuesdays. And if you want to get involved in a future mailbag episode, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me. At Mike G. Rich on Twitter is the address. You can just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it. It helps if you indicate in some way that it is a mailbag question. That way I know you're not just asking a question into the ether, but it's specifically for the show, or you can watch my Twitter feed on Mondays when I will send out a tweet soliciting your questions, you respond to that tweet, I'll get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user or just someone who doesn't tweet, you can email the show LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. That's LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night stays mailbag from your ears. So without further ado, our very first question of today's episode comes from Quisatz Hatterach at underscore Lord underscore Wilmore on Twitter who asks, well, Chauncey Billups keeps minutes spread out. No more 38, 39 minutes per game for CJ slash Lillard. What will be the impact of low minutes, guys? Who makes the jump from 5 to 10 minutes a game last year to 25, 20 to 25 this year? I like how it's CJ and Lillard in there. Very formal for Dame. Uh... You know, Dame has played consistently about 36 37 minutes and quite frankly he wants to play 36 minutes. He wants to play 36 minutes. Uh, if the bubble year the 1920 year um, the the team sucked and Dame played too much. He played he led the league in minutes. That's too much. So step one is kind of convincing him that the Blazers can be effective in 34 minutes. Step two is showing him they can be effective if he only plays 34 minutes, and step three is playing in 34 minutes a night. Like, I think you want to cut. Like in a, in a perfect world, you're still going to play your guys a lot. Like that's that's it. Just that's how the league works. Like, but but 33, 34 would be like ideal for Dame. 34 minutes a night is ideal for Dame. You know, 17 minutes a half, I think. Uh, I think is really perfect. The team just hasn't been able to to. They just haven't been. Good with him off the floor consistently to do that. The guys who are gonna make big jumps is you sort of the minutes guys who are gonna make big jumps. There's two, right? It's it's does Derek Jones Jr. jump back into the into the rotation and play regularly and does uh and does Nazir Little play. Can they both play big minutes? Probably not. You're probably choosing between one and the other unless you go really small in the second unit, which I don't see happening uh, a ton certainly could happen. We'll talk about it a little more later in the episode, but uh, those are the two guys who are going to take big minutes jumps. Uh, there's no one who who basically you know didn't play last year who's going to take a big jump, and I think a guy like Anthony Simons is going to have a pretty similar role. So you're talking about Nas and DJ uh, making those jumps, and I th- I think ideally. Uh, Dame would play a little bit less, but hard to know how, how Chauncey will uh, will handle it. You know, he, can't, he he played in an era when guys played probably more. Um, but, you know, in the modern world, you you'd want your stars to play a little bit less. Next question comes from Dallas Stamper at Dallas Stamper on Twitter, who asks, How can Portland get better on defense? With our overall team size, seems like teams can get us in mismatches through pick and rolls. Tired of dropping and hope they miss. Give me some hope. Well, I don't think the Blazers are going to play straight-up drop coverage all the time, but some of it is personnel stuff. Um, I think you can play Yusuf Nurkic higher and get him up close to the level, but how many good minutes of, of... of that Nurk, you know, chasing at that, maybe, you know, further from the rim, can you get out of them? If it's a bunch, the Blazers are going to be a lot better. But some some of the defense stuff is personnel, right? Like some of it is, um, it's hard to switch when you have Damon CJ, because like you said, there's just mismatch stuff. I, I've seen this going around and I, I, I wish I had it um, I had it here, but someone someone mentioned this in the last mailbag about how like Norman Powell's standing reach is that of a six foot seven person despite being only six foot three. And that's cool, right? Like that's cool. You want him to have long arms. But I don't think it's like the criticism of like the Blazers being not that big is not that like Norman Powell doesn't have long enough arms. It's that they don't have plus plus length they don't have plus length anywhere like norm being a little bit long enough to kind of pass and like almost be six foot seven is good but like what you want is a dude who's six seven with arms like he's seven two right you want real pot like real crazy length that's what competent length is not what makes a good defense like crazy length is what makes a good defense like if you were playing norm at two his natural position and he was that long um that that would be how that works. So uh, I do dismiss the idea that the Blazers are um, not actually small. A la Neil Olshay trying to try to push that narrative earlier this summer, but. I think we'll see less drop coverage. I think I I would assume that the Blazers will play slightly more aggressive. But the Clippers played a lot of drop coverage last year and were pretty good. Like it's not all just the scheme. It's also just like guys buying in. It's do does Damon do Damon CJ does Dame specifically you know fight back over the screen and help. Um, some of it is there's there's some scheme stuff. Like I think playing less drop coverage, playing more variety of coverage will help the Blazers on defense. But some of it is just like buy in. How much. How much juice do you get from um, from Dame and CJ, and particularly Dame, who was the one who was really bad on defense last year? And some of that how much juice, how much energy can you get from Dame to expend on that end is, how much do you ask him to do on the other end? And the balance of those two things, like, can you get a more egalitarian offense that allows him to be expend more energy on defense because he doesn't have to do everything with the ball in his hands all the time on offense? Or can you convince him to get the ball out of his hands, still be effective, and then go back on defense? Like, there's, um, it, it's all related but um, I think the Blazers can take a step forward on defense particularly if Yusuf Nurkic is healthy like I think this can be an average defensive team and if they're an average defensive team and as good as they as they look on paper offensively they're going to be one of the very good regular season teams this year they're going to be you know four or five in the west Um, if they don't they're going to be seven through nine in the west Uh, that's it's it gets dicey quick next question comes from Scott who asks where do the Blazers rank in transition offense, and could they improve by pushing the ball up the court faster and more often? Scott is says uh, sent a longer email saying that uh, con- where it, Scott's a converted Raptors fan who followed followed uh, Norman Powell over to to uh, become somewhat of a Blazers fan and. And Scott mentioned, Scott's sort of premise here is that Norm thrived in transition, and maybe that's how you can get a little bit more out of him, because he was better, you know, statistically in Toronto than he was in Portland. And I think there's something to that. Um, I think everyone plays a little better at higher speed uh, in general, except for the absolute best players, a la Damian Lord, who we'll talk about here in just one second. The Blazers last season were 19th in pace, 19th in fast break points, and 24th in points off turnovers. Some of the, that, they played a pretty conservative style of defense and they don't get a ton of steals, both schematically and just like pl- player skills wise, they don't get a ton of steals um, on de- So they didn't get, get out and run off turnovers. They've always been a low turnover team, but a lot of that like I would say something like 75% of that is scheme related like the style of defense they play was not a was not a turnover forcing style but they have not been in terms of fast break a fast breaking team they have not been good in the post Lamarcus era like since the 2015-16 season the Blazers have ranked 26th then 22nd then 30th then 24th and then in the 1920 season 15th 13th and pace that's the best they've ever been in the uh that's uh fast break ranking 15th in fast break points 13th in pace that's the best they've been in the post Lamarcus era um I think they can put an emphasis on running more but it, it's so much of Dame's preference uh like a lot of good players you know like uh I've said this about LeBron James in the past but he, that his teams either play at 100 miles an hour or two miles an hour they either run w- right away or they kind of um, are more methodical and Dame Damus um, doesn't even have that 100 miles an hour like sort of crazy hit ahead to his game. Um, he just if the Blazers go fast is because he took a pull up three early in the shot clock that he just doesn't like to run. Um, it's just not his comfort zone. He he like it has been sort of a thing between him and Stotts for. Um, You know, for for a long time, even you know before maybe last year when their relationship was deteriorating a little bit, or or just sort of the end was obviously near for Terry. Um, The Terry would be you know waving his arm, go go go, run run run, go go go, and the the Damian Lillard be walking it up because he's comfortable. Guess what? The Blazers have also kicked ass on offense for the most part. Dame can do it. Um, He can lead an elite an elite half court offense. So um, it's like. (laughs) Don't worry, I got this, and he does. But um, I think they could get easier buckets for more folks if they played a little bit faster, and, and, and just life would be easier if they played faster. And I think that's something you hope that Billups can get them to buy into. So much of this stuff, as we talk about the change in coaching, is like the the issues are so clear. Like they need to take a step forward on defense. They need to play. would be nice if they play a little faster. Nice if they pass the ball a little more. And like. I, Billups obviously is going to recognize all this, right? Like this is, these are the things he's going to recognize. I'm sure it's things the front office recognize and they've, you know, discussed here's all the ways we can improve. It's the question is, is Billups the guy to get, to get this team to buy in? And, and in theory, why you make this higher is because yes, it's like an emphatic. Yes. Everyone buys in and does it, but like, The remains a question like it remains a question can can this can this uh, Tiger change its stripes like Dame has played in teams that are mostly below average to very slow in terms of fast break points and in terms of pace can they get up to you know something like one of the faster teams in the league Um, seems like a dramatic change. I would love to see it though seems like it's not where Dame and CJ thrive in the open floor, but it seems like the rest of the roster might be able to be excel around them. So we'll see how it works. Next question comes from Sparrow Academy, at Eric Sparrow on Twitter, who asks, Have you heard any insider rumblings or substantiated rumors that Jody is likely, and that's Jody Allen, is likely to sell sell off the team? And would this mean an imminent departure from PDX? The tea leaves kind of read that way. The tea leaves absolutely do not read like relocation. They absolutely do not read that way. The tea leaves read like money. They read... They read really like money, and the way that ownership other owners in the league are going to get money is through expansion because if you expand if you relocate, you don't have to pay expansion fees. If the league expands, you've got to pay expansion fees. That's what the league wants. That's what ownership wants. They don't want Portland to move. The NBA doesn't want the to lose the Pacific Northwest like they lost Seattle and then portland they that's not what the league wants. They want this team here, and then they want to expand. That's what the league wants. In terms of selling, it's, it's when, not if. Um, Jody Allen is going to sell the Blazers. It's just a question of does she sell the Blazers in the near term, say in the next two to three seasons, two to three years, or are we talking five to 12 years? I mean, that's, that's the real question. It's, it's, it's when, not if in terms of sale. But I really, 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 really do not believe that this team will uh, relocate. I don't think it, all of the tea leaves definitely point to a sale coming. But I don't think they point to a relocation because expansion, growing the league, is too valuable to the other owners. Way, way, way too valuable to the other owners. And the, um, and the kind of PR fallout of, of taking another team out of the region seems like not the trade-off everyone wants. What they want is more money. All right, let's come back in the second segment, answer more of your questions in this glorious Mailbag Monday. But first, let's talk about Sweat Block. Sweat Block is doctor created doctor recommended and sweat block wipes work up to seven days per use and what's a use you may ask well here's how it works if you are someone who perspires a lot or if perspiration has ruined your day and ruined your confidence uh sweat block wipes might be the product for you and here's what you do at night as you're you're doing your nighttime routine take a sweat block wipe wipe it on where you perspire you know how it goes go to sleep, wake up, go about your day. And I'm talking just live your normal life. Take a shower, put out whatever clothes you want to wear on and go about that day with confidence because Sweatblock gives you the dry shirt guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. So, find that confidence, find a solution if you are someone who is a heavy perspirer. Go to sweatblock.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON and you will get a 20 you will get 20% off your purchase. This product's also available on Amazon and also at your local CVS. Today's show is also brought to you by DirecTV. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, how about a simple solution to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle? And a great way to finally get your TV together is called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, your favorite movies, and your favorite television shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right. Let's keep it rolling on this glorious Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Dr. J, who offers the following exercise which Dr. J describes as fun. Assuming Neil Olshay is correct and we have the same elite starting lineup and Norman Powell and CJ McCollum are the starters the difference between a good and even excellent season will be our bench so which of the following if they were to happen would be the best indicator the Blazers are heading towards an excellent season and Dr. J offers five options. One, Nazir Little averages more than two made threes per game that would indicate he's getting minutes and is getting up volume shots. Number two, Derek Jones Jr. leads the team in dunks, which indicate that he's not only getting minutes off the bench, but the second unit is getting out in transition. Number three, Cody Zeller plays more than 70 games. Four, Anthony Simons averages more than two made free throws per game, indicating that a greater aggressiveness in getting to the rim and would assume he shoots Still shoots threes. And number five, Tony Snell plays fewer than 20 minutes per game, suggesting that Derek Jones Jr. and Nazir Little hit their marks and deserve playing time over the veteran. So I think all of these are going to, are are important, but not all necessary. Um, I think the Nas averaging two, th- two made threes a game might be a little rich, um, uh, every Simon's average 1.9 makes a game from three. So if Nas were to make two more than two, that's a pretty big last year and average that it's a pretty big jump for Nas. But if he's doing that really, really good sign, right? Like really good sign, assuming health from everyone else. Uh, Derek Jones junior leading the team in dunks. I think he might do that. Even if he plays sparingly, um, he's going to dunk something like once per game and only, only nurk is kind of in that range. Um, so I'll say that one is not important. Zeller playing more than 70 games. I think that's a must. Uh, the way this roster is constructed, I don't think, um, they just don't have enough bigs. I mean, obviously the roster is incomplete right now. They're still going to sign a 14th guy. So we'll see what happens. But like, I just think Tony's Tony Zeller, Cody Zeller has to play more than 70 games for this team to be good. So I, I would say right now I'm ranking them. That is number one. And averages more than two free throws per game. This might be the biggest one for me. Um, if Anthony Simons adds an aggressiveness, adds that sort of functional athleticism towards the rim, or even as I suggested in a previous episode, just becomes a lethal off-ball cutter, like a really smart cutter. So he doesn't have to dribble to attack, but just uses his his athleticism to uh, you know attack space as attention is on his his. Um, Teammates, that could be really valuable. Two free throws per game. I think that's huge. Snell playing less than 20 minutes. Uh, I won't rule out that Tony Snell is like somehow effective and that him playing 20 minutes a night off the bench like worked. Right now, he also might be their backup power forward, (laughs) even though he's played some shooting guard in recent seasons. But um, that's just kind of how the how the roster is, is built right now. So, I think the mo- I think like the best indicator is probably Ants free throws. Excuse me, best indicator is Zeller's games, followed by Ants free throws more than two a game, followed by Nas's made threes more than two a game, followed by Derek Jones Jr. leading the team in dunks, followed by Tony Snell playing less than twenty minutes per game. That was a fun exercise. Thank you, Doctor J. This next question comes from Vegan Mindset Coach at Mindset Vegan on Twitter, who asks. I just saw something about Denver having a new G League affiliate. That's true. The Grand Rapids Gold, a Denver's new G League affiliate. Are the Blazers the only team now without one, and why? Actually, the Blazers are not the only team without one. The Detroit Pistons purchased the Suns G League affiliate, formerly the Northern Arizona Suns, and relocated them to Detroit for this season. So now the Blazers are one of two teams in the league, them and Phoenix, without a G League affiliate. Um, Phoenix made the NBA finals last year. <laughs> you, you could be pretty good without utilizing a G league team. Um, you know what? I just don't think it's what the Blazers believe in. They were early adopters. Uh, they had the Idaho stampede. My read on it is that they didn't, Neil Olshey never thought that it was much, got much value from it in the way that he wanted to do things. And, Paul Allen thought it was kind of a waste of money for what it was, and now just like with the way ownership is, they're just not going to sink a whole bunch of money into like the development of this of this group. Um, the I don't think a lot of teams directly benefit from the G League necessarily. I will say this: the Denver Nuggets did not have a G League team. They drafted two-way player P.J. Dozier. They developed him both in the G League with, you know, sending him out to affiliates and in-house and turned him into an NBA player. Like, you can do it without one. Um, It's not super easy, and it just hasn't been the Blazers' approach, and now I think there's an ownership limitation to it. But uh, they'll get one. Eventually, every team in the league will have one, and the Blazers will. They're just going to be the last team to do it, most likely. Next question comes from Ross, who asks... How unfortunate? Oh, Ross, is, Ross is sent an email saying that uh, Ross is a is a relatively new fan of the NBA and of the Blazers adopted during the bubble season um, and, and asks the following question. Oh, and Ross is from the UK. Welcome, love an international listener, um, because that way when I talk about days of the week, I don't know what day of the week you're listening, Ross, because it's too confusing. Ross asks, how unfortunate is it that's cj that someone of cj's ability is at the two on the blazers and not on the wing if cj was actually a wing assuming that he's top five or ten in his position in the league and we could slide norm to the two how much better would we be and would we have been any more successful in the years since cj was drafted if he was a three slash four yeah i mean i think this is the like basic conundrum of the blazers right is that they've got a lot of talent but the talent doesn't um, necessarily fit together for what's the league needs now having your two best players be under six foot four is just um it's hard it's hard to pull off it's hard to be really successful and it's the limitations the Blazers have come up against not only are their two best players their two most expensive players the guys who eat into the most of the salary cap Uh, and then you have to build the rest of roster around them and it's it's really hard I mean every team in the league could benefit from having like a top five small forward on the roster that's that's what everyone's after right like a six foot eight dude who's one of the five best players in the league or five best players in his position um you know if cj was just like jimmy butler how much better would the blazers be a lot right like a lot a lot this is this is sort of the core issue with them ross i know you're late to the game but you've you have you have found the most challenging part of this puzzle next question this comes from Dante Ward at DT33 on Twitter who asks If CJ was drafted in 2012 and Dame in 2013, does the franchise have a different trajectory? Would CJ be more of the lead guard franchise player? I don't think so, Dante. Because I think talent wins out, and Dame as that rookie was immediately thrust into the point guard role because he was he was a point guard. CJ was coming out thought of more as a combo guard, and even on that team, he would have been um, he just wouldn't he would have been behind uh, the other guards. Like he would have been they they still would have had Wesley Matthews in front of him, et cetera, et cetera. Like it just. Um, he wouldn't have been given the keys to be the franchise's point guard right away because he just wouldn't have been viewed that way. They would have viewed him as a centerpiece, but I don't think it changes. I also think talent wins out, and I don't think, like, I think this question, I like the idea of the hypotheticals that, like, in some ways it's opportunity, but Dame is just way better than CJ. Like, this isn't an opportunity thing where Dame just, like, seized it and, and took it the lead. Um, CJ might have been treated a little bit differently if he got here first. Like, uh, you know, the way the sort of pecking order might have worked a little bit different, but Dame would have it would have won out. He's... he's Talent wins. It's a talent league. Next question comes from Connor at Connor Gregg on Twitter who asks, does Greg Brown's somewhat exciting summer league performance change anything at all for the team this season? It does not. No. Is it any more likely that he contributes or perhaps him looking good opens up the front office to trading away someone else? It does not. No, no, no to both. Look, if this was a Terry Stotts coach team, I would just tell you straight away: there's no chance Greg Brown plays. But this isn't Terry Stotts. This is a whole unknown thing, and I'm I'm very curious to see how Chauncey Billups treats youth in a way, in a way that uh, Terry Stotts maybe wasn't. He wasn't into playing the the youngsters, and I'm I'm I wonder if Chauncey is is more open to it. But Greg Brown's not. He's just not going to be good enough on what this team needs. And if you're going to play as sort of a young athletic uh, forward who who could use some more NBA seasoning. It's Nazir little. Uh, and then it's Derek Jones jr. And then it's Tony Snell. Like he's, there's just a logjam um, of players that are better than him who are like sort of similarly sized and skilled. Greg Brown is fun and exciting and enticing. And what be he, what he becomes is really interesting, but he's not going to, he did not, his pretty good summer league didn't make it like you have to play him. And it certainly didn't make it like you have to trade someone to get, to get out of his way. No, that's a, that's a soft hell nah. That's a soft hell knock on her. Next question comes with Clay Hardy at underscore Clay Hardy on Twitter, who asks, "In your opinion, does Portland have the worst bench in the league?" No. And this is nonsense. This is like this is where we're at with the Blazers. They're pretty good, and pretty good feels bad, and everything has to be best or worse. What the Blazers have is a not very good bench. But they also have an incomplete bench. They're going to add another player to this mix. And there's a chance that another player is like a power forward type who's going to play, you know, some real minutes at some point this year. So we'll see. But, like, there are truly bad teams in the league. Oklahoma City and Detroit immediately come to mind here who, like, go look at their their rosters. Like, those benches are worse. Their depth is worse. Their starters are worse. The Blazers are, are pretty decent. Don't get lost in the sauce because you hate Neil Olshay and think that this is the worst something of all time. They're just not... Very good on the bench. That's all. That's all. They're just a normal, not very good bench. Not everything is the worst. Some stuff is (laughs) some stuff is normal, bad. Next question comes from vegan mindset coach at mindset vegan on Twitter who opened the second segment, now closes it with the following question. I love hearing about pregame routines. So what is your favorite pre-game routine you've seen slash heard? And what's your pre-pod routine? Pre-pod routine is like depends on when I usually record these after work. Sometimes I record them during the day if that's when uh, someone I'm interviewing can do it. I sometimes, on Sundays, I typically record them on Sunday mornings, like shortly after I wake up and eat breakfast. So, and I have a real routine. The main thing I do is I will write down my thoughts in either a uh, word doc or on in my notebook, like handwrite them in my notebook. So I am organized and know what I want to talk about. Sometimes detailed, you know, big detailed notes. So I make sure to hit on all the numbers I want to share with you. Sometimes just big picture headline stuff because uh, I know what I want to say, but I want to make sure that I stay organized and I always get a big old glass of water too. That's, that's a money one. I got it. I get, I fill up my water bottle. That's my routine. In terms of MBA routines, um, I, I actually sent this out to, uh, at Mindset vegan on Twitter is that back in 2016, 2017, uh, Joe Freeman and I, when we worked at, together at the Oregonian, wrote a big story about Blazers pregame routines. Um, and it's just, it's, you know, there wasn't anything super crazy, but it's, you know, Shabazz Napier ate the same kind of peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day. Cause there'd always be, there's always PB and J available in every NBA locker room. Uh, Wesley Matthews used to drink a cup of coffee with like a whole bunch of sugars in it. Um, Chris Kamen was a, was a pregame coffee guy. Um, some, some guys lift before the game, which I always thought was, uh, thought was weird. Um, some dudes uh, would go through like a really similar shooting routine. Every time some guys would change it up intentionally to get a different feel. Um, Dame is like super casual pregame gets his shots up and then hangs out. Chit chats like BS is around with um, Blazers coaches and support staff and stuff like that. So, I think my favorite pregame routine is, is one that I've only heard, heard legend of but wasn't around for is that uh, Clyde Drexler would show up to the game like 45 minutes before it started. He would roll in and go play basketball and be one of the best players in the world. All right, let's come back in the third segment close out the show with more of your questions on this glorious Mailbag Monday. But first, let me tell you about Bill Bar. So Bill Bar is the best tasting protein bar that there is, but I want to tell you about a fun thing Bill Bar did back two weeks ago now. Uh, built bar is a is a utah-based company they've been sponsoring this podcast forever and they really do make the best tasting uh protein bars on the market but they also are just a cool company and here's what they did because college football players can now benefit off their own name image and likeness they could take sponsorship money from private companies so built bar took that a step forward and they not only got in on you know providing money through the nil uh, uh deals out there or deals available to college athletes now they offered to pay the tuition and have paid tuition for 36 walk-ons at Brigham Young University. So that means dudes who are just playing football for the love of football are now getting to go get a BYU education for free thanks to the good folks at Built Bar. That's a pretty cool little deal. That's a pretty cool company. A company that already makes delicious uh, protein bars filled with a whole bunch of bang for your buck, like 17 grams of protein per bar are also doing cool stuff for college athletes. So if you needed more reason to support Built Bar, it's because they're, they are doing things the right way for people who love sports. Today's episode is also brought to you by Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. In fact, today, like right now, Monday morning, in my inbox, BetOnline.ag sent me over under odds for every. Team in the NBA. So if you want to get futures bets in on basketball, literally all 30 teams, there's over under prop bets on every single one, including your Portland Trail Blazers, put at 43 and a half games. You want to get in on that? You want to hammer the over that the Blazers win 44 or more games? You can go get odds on that on Bet Online right now. And look, you're not going to just find basketball future bets, they've got every single sport. NFL and college football are about to be here. Uh, it's a, if you are into betting on athletics, uh, there is no better place to do it. It's the fastest and easiest way to get in on all your sports betting needs. That's bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked On Blazers, and we're still cruising through Mailbag Monday, our weekly Mailbag episode answering listeners' submitted questions all episode long. The episode continues. Let's answer some more questions. This next one comes from All Good. That's Julio at Julio Can Two on Twitter, who asks, "Derek Jones Jr., is your little?" Greg Brown the third as a small ball front court off the bench. do we get to see it yes or no? Am I crazy for wanting to see it yes or no? In reverse. No, you're not crazy for wanting to see this. The athleticism, throw Anthony Simons in there. You got four dudes who could compete in the slam dunk contest. Like that's that's real athletes. that's that's fun. Um, no, we're not gonna see this lineup.'ll I'm willing to bet, well, maybe at the very end of a game, um, I will bet non-garbage time, like non, non-white flag time, uh, no, we do not see that, that, that trio across the front line all season long. Uh, bookmark this. This is at the like roughly 30-minute mark, a little past the 30-minute mark of the podcast that I'm going to publish on August 24th of 2021. Make sure you bookmark it when I'm wrong. You can send it back to me. Next question comes from Scott at scottptb 30 on Twitter who asks a joke question then a follow up that says the net rating on the starting five should probably be stated as Damian Lord plus these dudes is pretty good right yeah i mean there's something to there's something to that because uh, you know the blazers have this they have an elite net rating uh, with their with their starting five like the the Dame CJ Norm Roko Nurk group has been was really really good but in fact according to some of the numbers the Dame Gary Trent Derek Jones, Rocco and his Cantor group had an even better net rating uh, they were worse on defense so you could make the argument that the trade-off is not worth it but like just in terms of overall net that's you know points scored versus points allowed per 100 possessions like that group was better and really what it suggests to me is that Damian Lord is basically an elite offense unto himself and when you add behind him maybe the best help defender or certainly one of the five best help defenders in the league in Robert Covington if you put you know competent offensive players even just like competent NBA players around him Gary Trent Derek Jones and Ennis Cantor are not even like um I'm not sure they would start for most teams in the league those three other other three guys but like Damon Rocco you're going to be really good because you've got that help defender to kind of clean up the mess on defense and you've got the engine on offense so yeah um Some of the net rating stuff is overrated, but what I will sort of note here is that uh, the current starting lineup just—they're—they look—they have a better defensive rating. Like they're a better defensive team than another group, which really was just overwhelming teams with how good they could be on offense and then surviving on the other end on defense and just being okay. Next question comes from Matthew at Revan Romulus on Twitter who asks, All summer we Blazer fans have been lighting our torches, sharpening our pitchforks, and calling for the firing of Neil Olshay. But does an ownership change the real answer to what ills the fan base? Would a new GM be stuck with making the same penny pinching moves we see from Neil? Yeah, ownership is the big bigger deal. Quite frankly, even if um to some extent, like even if there was if you had another GM in here, it's not like Neil is it's not like he's passing up these big chances to like sort of trade CJ. I would assume like he just has, he had his own mistakes, but like he's just got limited, limited appeal of stuff he can trade. Um, so it's not just if you fire Neil, it'll be fixed ownership. And then the willingness to spend is a big, is a limitation here for sure. Next question comes from Debrick at MVH underscore genetics on Twitter, who asks, which CJ McCollum will we see more of the season, early season, 2021 or late season, 2021. Um, you know, I probably lean more toward late season. Um, but early season, like he, he had changed his shot diet so dramatically, um, and started taking threes. Like he wasn't going to hit over 50% a game on, on 10 threes a night, but you know, the foot thing, I think lingered for a long time. Like, I don't think, I don't think his foot ever got right. I don't think he was like fully, fully good to go from, um, at least from, from what some people say, uh, even into the playoffs, he maybe wasn't wasn't fully, fully healed, but like he played, so I'm not making an excuse for him necessarily, but I kind of think he was playing above his capabilities for those first 13 games. So I don't think he'll get all the way back there, but I do think like fully healthy, fully rested, all those things, CJ, that he could like he could push towards that early season 2021 for sure. Adam Wines comes with our next question. Adam Wines, Adam on Twitter. Adam there's a lot, there's, there's an IE vowel set up in there. I'm not sure I might be getting your last name wrong. So if I am shoot me a note, I'll get it right next time. Adam asks, do you like the idea of the Blazers dealing CJ a away for cash considerations to make room for a veteran guard? It seems like backup PG is one of the biggest holes on the roster unless Anthony Simons can show great improvement in his playmaking. You don't have to do that. That is a false, false scenario. Uh, the Blazers have an empty roster spot. In fact, they have two empty roster spots and trading CJ Ellaby for cash considerations does not offer them more cash to spend. It offers more cash relief. It's just cash in the owner's pocket to, uh, to relieve the, the burden of having to play players. You don't open up more cap space by trading CGLB. I mean, you, I guess you reduce your costs a little bit, but you don't, um, they would still have the same, uh, same options to spend with trading Elbe. You don't have to do that. If the Blazers want to sign a veteran PG. They can do that. They can just do it. They can do it right now. They can just, they could go out and get a, an adult to play, Backup point guard. Uh, they need some more playmaking on the roster. I'm not sure adding a guard is the solution. I think you want that playmaking to come from a forward spot. Easier said than done, but just the way the 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 way the it's all built, um, the way the roster is built, adding another guard seems like. Uh, to, it seems like you're just playing more minutes small or more, or less time with Dame and CJ on the court it's just all it's it, it doesn't you want a you want a four who could pass that's the solution next question c- comes from Jesse Helweg at JessAsterist on Twitter that's another last name i'm probably getting wrong um Jesse hit me up if uh, you want a pron- better pronunciation i promise i'll get it right jesse asks one you've mentioned a few times that this isn't your day job what is it uh, I work in commercial real estate. I am a real estate appraiser Two. you are marooned on a desert Island. Somehow you have to pick between Neil and Terry to be your survivor mate. Who do you bring Terry without a doubt? You can also only eat one thing from the Rose garden concession stands. What are we eating while stranded? Yes, we all be there too. I like tacos if that helps. Um, I, I think I'm going to go with the Hawaiian place. Uh, I think it's Kamaaina. um, and here's my reasoning here. i um, not a huge fan of Cha 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 or Tamale Boy. Neither of them really do it for me. Um, so I, I'm a taco guy too, but those aren't my spots. Um, I think tacos are my favorite food, actually. But uh, I, I think the Hawaiian place, Kamaaina or kamaaina Hawaiian's tough for me. It's, it's usually phonetic, but there's a lot of vowels. Um, so yeah, the the Hawaiian place in in the uh, Moda Center is is money because of the variety of food. You can get fish and chips, you can get pulled pork, you can get poke. Um, it's, you know, they've got little, little kind of like side veggie stuff. I think the variety of food really help us not have, to, if we're stranded on the island, not have to eat, you know, the same things over and over and over again. I think that's, uh, I think there's some real value. Uh, I think there's some real value in variety there. So that's what I'm going with. Next question comes from Jason Iosco. This is Jason Iosco on Twitter who asks, based off their careers thus far, looking back at the 2012 draft, would you rather have Damian Lord or Anthony Davis? If you had the number one pick factoring in stability injuries, ability to lead in the play- to, to the playoffs and title. Uh, I think I'm still taking Anthony Davis. Uh, he's, you know, he hasn't been healthy and on his own, he has not uh, been a really great, hasn't had a ton of playoff success. I would argue that neither has Dame, quite frankly. Um, Dame's gone farther with less than Anthony Anthony Davis has. Not trying to not I'm not trying to stir too much shit up with that answer. Um I, I totally agree with that. And Dame has been really good in the playoffs for for the most part, except when he's like clearly run out of gas in the bubble against the Lakers. Um it's But Anthony Davis, the versatility he brings on defense particularly in the style of basketball you have to play in the playoffs you just can't beat like he needs specific teammates around him and uh, you know Drew Holiday wasn't what Drew Holiday wasn't the right teammate for whatever reason like he needed someone to take a little more of the offensive burden off him than at the time that Drew was able to but uh, that I think those Pelicans teams for a couple of years like really underachieved and then Anthony Davis like straight up quit on them the following season. Um so that's a bummer. Seems like a kind of a bummer move. Uh but he's I think if, I think for what you need to excel at the highest level of the playoffs it's still Anthony Davis. Dame is clearly the second choice, but AD's AD's versatility on defense and and when healthy ability on offense is really um his ceiling is really really really, really high. Next question comes from Steve Kokoros, Kokoros, at Steve Kokoros 26, who asks, where do you realistically see this team ending up by the end of the season? And what do you think the roster could look like? I I'm not gonna make predictions on the roster. Like I think the most tradable player they have is Derek Jones Jr. and and in terms of like he's his his money is is you know making about 10 million dollars on expiring deal he's the easiest sort of thing to move uh emailer bens sent me a similar question kind of like asking me to predict what what moves the blazers make and that that's too hard bens uh bens and also steve like i guess that's not what, that's not what I'm bringing to the table. What, what I'm, I've been around this team and I have a good understanding of kind of how, how things work in the league, but like predicting, um, predicting transactions is not, um, that's not where I'm going to add value. And I'm not, I would be guessing. And what I don't want to do in this podcast is guess. I want to share an educated opinion. So I'm going to, I'm going to decline because I don't know, but, uh, where I realistically seeing them end up, um, uh, as I mentioned in, in the uh, ad space in this podcast, and if you, if you've. Uh, missed it. BetOnline.ag has over unders for all NBA teams. It said the Blazers over under at forty three and a half wins. I kind of think forty four and a half would have been harder for me to would have been scarier for me. Like, do they win forty five games? I think would have been. I think I hit the over on forty three and a half, just just a, by a little bit. Um, although I, I do think uh, it's a pretty good number. I think like again, I'm I'm talking about one game basically. Um, so I think I hit the over, but I don't know. I think this team. If they're really healthy and everything works out, I think they could finish as high as third in the West. And I think if, you know, reasonable injuries here and there, not like anything anything major, but like reasonable bumps and bruises along the way, there's something like the sixth to ninth best team in the West. I mean, it's just uh, probably sixth to eighth best team in the West, quite frankly. It's, you know, they're right there. I think they're somewhere between three and eight. I think, um... I think it's going to be unlikely that they're in that uh, upper echelon of home court advantage type teams. I think their fifth and below is a much more reasonable um, place for them to finish, considering their roster. I would probably take tentatively take the over on forty three and a half over under. Um, they have limited paths to get better it's all going to be via trades and how much how much draft capital they want to attach to someone like Derek Jones Jr. to make a make a big splash and how, how deep they're willing to go into the luxury tax if if um, other bigger trades get there so um you know I, I think this team is pretty good like I think making the playoffs in the west is hard uh, it's competitive. Like team, a team that's going to finish eighth in the West is going to be a very good team during the regular season, even if half the league makes the NBA, as some haters like to point out. Um, it's tr- it's true, though. that math is correct. The haters are right about that. But like, I, th- you know, I-, I think this team's pretty good. They're just not one of the great teams. And that step from pretty good to... Um, to truly like a slice of of championship pie, like a little bit of championship equity is the hardest jump to make in the league. And the Blazers have failed to do it for five consecutive seasons. But they're pretty good. Don't let people rain on your parade. It's okay to be okay. It's just that... Damon Lord has kind of said that it's not okay to be okay. so we're all in this p- p- place of angst but but I in another world, I think it's okay to be pretty good and like um, you know bank on some internal improvements and an upgrade in coaching and say maybe we'll get there. It just doesn't seem like the urgency from the team has matched the urgency from their star player and when those things don't align, you can you, you kind of know what's next. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. If you want to get involved in a future mailbag, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter or LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com are the two places to do so. Tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them they can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.